Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. So, what we're going to be talking about tonight is something that quite often goes unspoken or unthought of or just completely avoided altogether. I'm talking about the wrath of God. Just upon hearing it, some people cringe and say, oh, here we go. We're going to talk about the wrath of God. Great. But what we need to understand is that the wrath of God is, is still one of his attributes. It's still one of the perfections of the Almighty. It's important that we not shy away from or be embarrassed by the wrath of God. We must not attempt to diminish the extent of his wrath or the reason for his wrath. We can't say, you know, like, oh yeah, this is, this is my God. His name is Yahweh. Um, he's, he's mostly a good God. He just kind of has a temper from time to time. But just please just try to get to know him because usually he's, he's a great God. Once you get to know him, he just kind of gets mad from time to time. We, we need not try to make excuse or to cover up the Lord's wrath as though it were an imperfection or a stain on his character or in somehow, some way diminish his love or his grace. We have to look full in the face of the wrath of God. We can't be ashamed of who God is because he's not ashamed to make us his own. We must not attempt to water down the intensity of his wrath just because it's uncomfortable and just because other people might not want to hear it. And maybe I'm really just preaching to myself right now as we get ready to, to study this. But the main reason is that, you know, Scripture is not ashamed of the wrath of God. God himself is not ashamed of his wrath. It's not as though it's something that he's working on, as though he has a, a short fuse and he's, he's working on it. Just bear with me. Keep giving me some grace. No. The wrath of God is a very real part of who he is. And the only reason why we, we cringe when we hear about it or we, we turn a deaf ear when we hear about the wrath of God is because of our sin. Because we know that our sinfulness is what brings the wrath of God about. Therefore, our main focus tonight will be centered on why we should meditate on the wrath of God. What we're going to do is we're going to start off by reading a passage from the book of Psalms. So if you would, grab your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 90. That's 9-0, Psalm chapter 90, 
And we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. Psalm chapter 90, verses 11 and 12. I read from the English Standard Version, so if you want to be able to follow along word for word, and you're using a digital Bible, go to the ESV translation, and you'll be able to follow along word for word. Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 11 and 12. This is the word of God. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, we, we come before you tonight, Lord, and you know, we're, we're trying something new with this live stream, Lord, and um, God, we just put this in your hands, Lord. We, we can't control anything. You're in control of everything, Father. So God, we just submit ourselves and surrender ourselves and, uh, and the results of tonight up to you. They're in your hands, Father. And God, I just pray that right now you help us to push all the distractions aside, that we can just focus on you, Lord, and that we can leave here tonight with a, a bigger, more, more clear view, more beautiful portrait of, of the Lord God Almighty, that we may serve you, Lord, and honor you, Lord, and glorify you and worship you and, and love you and be devoted to you all of our days. Lord, I pray that my words would not be my words, but everything that I speak tonight, God, that it would be uh, the truth of your word, that it would come from you, and that I would not attempt to share my preferences or my opinions tonight, God. May you be glorified. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as we look at the wrath of God, what we want to start off doing is defining it. We need to look at a solid definition of the wrath of God. So, what does the wrath of God mean? Here is our definition for the wrath of God. The wrath of God is His eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It is the holiness of God stirred into action against sin. I'll read that again. The definition for the wrath of God. The wrath of God is His eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It is the holiness of God stirred into action against sin. The word that's used in the New Testament for wrath is defined as the punitive outworking of God's righteous indignation towards sin. That is the word that's used for, for wrath all throughout the New Testament. It's the, the punitive outworking of God's righteous indignation towards sin. That he, he hates it passionately, and he should. We have a few references uh, from the scripture to look at. Deuteronomy 9, 7 through 8. Remember and do not forget how you 
provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. We see on plain display in this passage here. Write that down and go look at it for yourself. Deuteronomy 9, 7 through 8. We see on plain display here God's holiness being stirred into action against sin. And we see his, his passionate detestation of all unrighteousness because unrighteousness is rebellion against God. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you want to know why you don't hear about the wrath of God often today? It's right there. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I'm in sin, so I don't want to talk about the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. Why? Because it exposes my sinfulness. It's much like going into a room late at night that's, that's got cockroaches in it or, or mice. As soon as you flip the light on, what happens? They scatter. And it's the same thing with sinfulness that is in us. When the light of Christ shines brightly from a pulpit or from Scripture or from a podcast or from wherever, sinfulness runs and hides And people who are knee-deep in their sins say, no, thank you, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Oh, I pray that this is not us tonight. God's wrath is an extension of His holiness. That is to say that because God is holy, He must despise sin. It's it's fitting that we've studied the, the, the holiness of God recently Because that should be fresh on your mind, I hope, so that you can call to mind God's holiness and and that he's altogether unlike us and he's totally other. And remember that we're not like that at all. We're we're filthy, we're, we're unrighteous, and God is moved, he's stirred into action against our sinfulness because of how holy he is. God is eternal and infinite, and so is his wrath. When the wicked are cast into the lake of fire, it will be the Lord's wrath that is poured out on them for all of eternity. Not just for four hours or four days or four years or four hundred years or four thousand years. It will go and go and go and burn and burn and burn. How's the old song go? When we've 10,000 years, we've no less days from, since, from when we since began or however it goes. It's the same thing going to be in the lake of fire. When they've been there for 10,000 years, 10,000 days, they have no less days 
than when they first began. Let us tremble at the mighty hand of God. God is adamantly against sinfulness in every way possible to an extent that is unimaginable. God's wrath is not kindled against just mere character quirks, okay? What I mean by that is that he's, he, he's not moved to anger. You know, some people, you know, maybe they, they have a funny laugh that gets on your nerves or maybe they chew with their mouth open and you really can't stand it and you're provoked to anger because you can't stand it because it's irritating to you just because of preference. In that moment, you're just arbitrarily angry. But God is not so. God is not arbitrarily angry. He is furious for a purpose and a reason. We are nothing like this, are we? We get angry when we don't get our way. We, we get angry when our Amazon package doesn't show up quickly enough. We get angry when we're sitting in a restaurant and they haven't brought our waters to the table in seven minutes. My goodness, Lord forbid that they have other customers in the restaurant to attend to. We get angry when, when the businesses aren't opening up quickly enough. We, or we get angry when the businesses are opening up too quickly. And, and when we get angry, we sin. We sin in our anger because we, we act rashly. We just act on a whim. But God is not like this. God has never lost control, even for a moment. Even when he's poured out his wrath in history, he's never lost control. God is able to withhold his wrath until the day when he sees that it is full, filled up with a full measure of wrath and anger, and it just burns and burns and burns and burns until he says, okay, now. You know the passage that God is not slow to fulfill his promises the way that some count slowness. It's not that God's not paying attention. Right now, wrath is being stored up all across America, all across the globe. The wrath of Almighty God. He waits for the cup to be full so that when he pours it out, it's not a half measure, but it is a full measure of his wrath. We are so prone to despise God's wrath or make excuse for it or dismiss it altogether. Sometimes we think of God's wrath as, as just an Old Testament God. Well, God's not like that anymore. You know, he has the, the Kenny G hair, you know, from all the pictures that I've seen. God's not wrathful anymore. He's really nice and he just loves you. It's true that God loves. It's true that God is love. But we must not overlook or discount or disqualify the wrath of God. And for this reason, I want to give us four motivations for meditating on the wrath of God. Yes, you heard that correctly. Four motivations for meditating on the wrath of God. Number one, it's an aspect of his nature. 
It's part of who he is. Psalm 7, 11. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God is currently, current tense, present tense. Psalm 11, 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Listen to the word of God speak. Psalm 5, 4 through 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Listen to this. You hate all evildoers. Wow. Just let that ring in your ears. Is this not a different God in the scriptures than we are accustomed to hearing about? What's interesting is that I know that all of those verses that I just read to you are from the Psalms, and that's by design. So do not let that bother you. Do not overlook that by saying, well, that's only in the book of Psalms because you can find wrath all over the Bible. Plus, there is plenty of rich theology and doctrine in the Psalms. And moreover, the Psalms, these in particular, are songs that are sung unto the Lord. Could you imagine coming to church and singing, Oh God, you hate all evildoers. Could you imagine that? But this is what they did. This is a song. This is a song that they sung unto the Lord. And it was with the intention of being precise in speaking of the nature of God, glorifying God with the words. They were celebrating his wrath. They were celebrating his righteousness and how just he is. They didn't just sing about his love and his grace and his blessing like we do today. They would sing about his whole character, his whole nature. So it's part of who he is. Now we can praise God for his wrath because God is not like us. His wrath is not comparable to a man with short temper. Instead, God's wrath is terrifyingly beautiful as it displays for us His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, and yes, even His love. If God really is as holy as He is, He must despise unholiness. And if God really is as righteous as he is, he must abhor unrighteousness. And if God really is as loving as he is, he must scorn all that which destroys what he loves. If God really is as just as he is, he must abominate all that which is unjust. In other words, 
If I say I love my wife, Gabby, and somebody is attacking her, it's going to do something in me, unless I am dead or lifeless. It's going to cause something to well up in me. And so it is with the Lord, but to a level that that we do not comprehend here in our earthliness. Let us not forsake the severity of God and only focus on the goodness and only focus on the blessing of God because what we do then is we, we end up drawing, instead of drawing a beautiful portrait of the Lord, we draw a crude caricature like what you get at the fair It's a caricature of God, and yeah, I can kind of see the resemblance, but that is not God. This is what happens when we fail to recognize Him for all that He is. His wrath is not a contradiction to His loving, merciful nature, but rather, it is complementary to it. His wrath is no less one of his perfections than any other. It's not like, well, this this attribute's perfect and this other one's just not so good. No. All of his perfections are perfect. They're all perfections. Just because his wrath is unpopular does not make it any less worthy of our praise. It might be unpopular, but it's not unworthy. If we are truly to know God for who he is, then we must joyfully accept the fact that God is a God of wrath. Let us also take comfort in knowing that because he is not like us, because he is holy, that this means that his wrath and his anger is holy. And this means that as such, as it being holy, because it's holy, That it will never, ever, ever be misplaced, unjustified, or unrighteous. He will never just arbitrarily pick someone to be mean to. That never happens. Anyone that is a subject of the wrath of God, anyone who abides under the wrath of God, is there because of their sin and they deserve it. Moreover, We cannot ever understand the depths of God's love for us without first understanding the extent of his wrath. That leads us to point number two. The second motivation for meditating on the wrath of God, number two, it's to deepen our understanding of the gospel. Romans 5, 8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10 In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, for the sake of the sinner, for the sake of the object of God's wrath, he made him, that's Jesus, 
to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. But you will never grasp the depth of those passages without knowing the depth of God's wrath. As we grow in understanding the wrath of God, we will deepen our understanding of the gospel. I know this sounds bizarre at first, but it it is true that we cannot grasp the meaning of salvation until we understand that we need saving. Until we grasp that we need to be saved, we're not going to care about salvation. That's why these pleas of, hey, Jesus loves you, just raise your hand to be saved, that's why they don't work. Because that's not a motivation to a person who is dead in their sin. They don't understand. They don't know who God is. They don't care that he loves them because they don't understand the wrath of God that abides on them. The the immensity and, and the immediate wrath of God that is there, present, that in a moment, if their life was taken, they would be confronted with the wrath of God. They don't get it. And we need to warn them. We must. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. We absolutely cannot truly understand the gospel without first understanding God's wrath. We can't simply say, I'm saved, without knowing what we're saved from. We must know what we're saved from. We read this past weekend in in Colossians chapter 3, how we need to put put to death that which is earthly within us. And and on account of that, that earthliness and all of those sins... Three, uh, Colossians 3, 6 said, on account of which, uh, on account of these, God's wrath is coming. It's coming. It's on its, its way. God's wrath is coming for the sons of obedience, disobedience. We were abiding under that wrath of God before God saved us. So in reality... The answer to the question of what are you saved from, the answer is God. It's God. Because it was God's wrath that was burning against you. It was God's wrath that was abiding on you. And it was God's wrath that was awaiting you and building up against you. God's wrath. And should you have died in your sins, it would have been God's wrath that you experienced for all of eternity. What you are saved from is the wrath of God. It was against God that we sinned. Each of us has personally rebelled against the law of the Lord. Each of us. And each of us individually owes the Lord a debt that we cannot repay. We can't. This is why grace is so amazing. And this is why mercy is so necessary. It's because of the burning, white, hot wrath of God. Remember from a few weeks ago that we gathered an understanding that that grace 
is getting something that you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. And through the power of the gospel, in the message of the gospel, we get right standing before God. That's grace. That's something we do not deserve. And we also experience God's mercy because we don't get the wrath that we do deserve. That's God's mercy towards us. But you see, without wrath, grace and mercy are are null. Because of God's wrath is, is why we can know grace, why we know mercy. God's wrath and justice are inter, intermingled with and they accompany his, his love and his mercy. His wrath and justice demonstrates the immensity of grace that he bestows upon us. Without God's grace sitting on the black backdrop of his wrath, we cannot truly see it for how incredible it is. It's that contrast of of the pitch black wrath that the diamond of God's grace shines brilliantly. After all, I mean, what does grace mean to me if I don't need grace? Or what do I care of mercy when I have no need of mercy? So let's not merely say the words grace and mercy just mindlessly as we're speaking our Christianese. Let us grasp the truth of our desperate need for grace and mercy, understanding that that without God showing us grace and mercy, we perish. It's over. There's no chance. There's no hope. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. And it was on the cross of Calvary that God displayed for us both grace and mercy, and we saw his wrath on display. We do not have the gospel without wrath. You don't have the gospel without wrath. It is because of God's wrath that Christ had to come save us. You know the passages that that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, why did he do that? Because sinners abide under the wrath of God. That's why he came to save us. It wasn't wasn't because he thought you were so awesome. It was because of his great love and his great mercy and his great grace that he wished to bestow upon you as a free agent. He had no, not anything compelling him to do so except for his own glory. And he did it and he is glorified among those of us who are in Christ. On Calvary's cross, Christ bore our sin and the wrath that was kindled against us. It was poured out on the Son. All of that wrath that you stored up in your life for however many years or days or hours you lived in sin, in rebellion towards God and all of the sins you will ever commit for the rest of your life All of the wrath stored up against you. Jesus Christ bore on the cross. Let that sink in. Do you see now that that without wrath we don't have the gospel? 
We no longer stand condemned in the shadow of God's wrath. We no longer have to fear judgment day. And I don't mean that for everybody. I mean that for the children of God, for those who are in Christ. We have no more reason to fear death. We we need only be grateful and to live in light of the power of the gospel. Number three, the third motivation is to keep us from sin. I referenced Colossians 3, 5 through 6 earlier that said, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Psalm 97, 10. O you who love the Lord, comma, hate evil. If you love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Now this is not to be thought of in such a way that would cause us to walk on eggshells all day long, just waiting for the Lord to smash the hammer on us. If we are in Christ, as I just said, His wrath towards us has been extinguished. Christ bore it all. Yet, we should and we must live in a very real sense of the fear of the Lord. That holy reverence and awe in which we understand just how mighty and holy He is. That we we understand that when we approach the throne, we're only there because of Christ. And we're, and, and we're there because of Christ before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is not to be taken lightly. We should not make friends or allies with that which the Almighty hates. When we love Him, we also hate what God hates. That means the sin in your life. And the sin in this world. You hate what God hates. God hates the sin that's in your life. Hate that sin. Fight that sin. We hate our sin because it causes the wrath that was poured on Christ. Since the Lord hates sin, why would I actively engage in what He hates? And what grieves His spirit? Though His wrath towards me might be extinguished, That does not mean that now the Lord is indifferent towards the sin in my life or the life of any believer. Hebrews 12.6 tells us that the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every every son whom He receives. So I don't want to think, and you ought not to think, that sin is okay now because Christ took it all on. No, 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 no. Instead, this must produce in us gratitude. Gratitude towards the Lord for saving me from His wrath. Saving you from His wrath. That while you were still a sinner, that while I was still a sinner, that He would save me, that He would save you, that while we were actively in rebellion against Him, that He would make peace with us. 
And that only comes when we think about the wrath of God and contemplate his hatred for sin. And the last point, number four, the fourth motivation is to lead us to evangelize. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Christian, this needs to be your attitude. You don't need to look at everybody else as sinners. You need to look in the mirror and say, I am the foremost. I am the worst sinner that I know. But thanks be to God that Christ Jesus saved me. But he didn't save me because I was awesome. He saved me to display how awesome he is. He did this to display for the world how patient and how merciful and how how gracious he is that he would tolerate someone like me. I always think of it this way that, you know, I'm, I'm I'm an awful cook. I really am. Ask my wife. And I would always hear, I always hear people say, you know, this recipe is so easy that anyone can make it. Yeah, right. I'm not included in that anyone. Trust me. Because I've tried those anyone recipes and they did not work for me. Because I'm that bad of a cook. Yet when it comes to the grace of God, you really can never be too far for him. You really have never outsinned God's grace. You really have never run so far away that his mighty hand can't stretch out and catch you. You've really, really never messed up enough to then make Christ's sacrifice null and void. Trust me, I I tried. So we shouldn't look down on other people thinking that they're beyond saving Because trust me, if I'm standing here before you saved and in Christ and and full of, of, of God's love in my heart, it's only because of Christ. And it's only because if he can save me, he can save anybody. Really, though. Moreover, If God is this wrathful towards sin, does it not behoove us then to reach out to a world that is dead in sin that they might flee the wrath to come? If Christ died while we were yet dead in our sin, ought we not proclaim this message to those who are still dead in their sin? If God is angry towards the wicked every day, like we read in Psalm chapter 7, if he really is angry towards the wicked every day, then we must be prayerful for the wicked every day that they would have the eyes of their hearts illuminated 
And that God would remove their heart of stone, giving them a heart of flesh. And that he would move in sovereign grace towards them and bring them into newness of life. So for those of you who are listening right now, and you're not in Christ, I want to tell you that there is a very real wrath that abides on you at this very hour, at this very moment. Because your sin is a rebellious act against a holy, righteous God. The God who created this universe. It's his, and he determines the rules, and he determines the laws. And it's against that law that you and I and everybody in human history has transgressed except for one man. That man is Jesus Christ. He was sent to this world in love not because of something in you, but just because God is love. And this Jesus Christ was born as, a, as fully God and fully man. And he lived in such a way so as to never provoke the Lord to anger, never provoke him to wrath, fully abiding by the law of God, fulfilling it. And he went to the cross on Calvary. And on that cross, he was a propitiation for your sin. What that means is that as he was nailed to that cross, the Father looked at his Son and took your sin and put it on Jesus and poured out his wrath on Jesus so that when he looks in you, after you put your faith in him and repent of your sins, that when he looks at you, he can take the righteousness of his son and put it on you. And instead of being moved towards wrath towards you, he will be moved towards love and grace and mercy because you will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. On that cross, Jesus died so that you can die to your sins. And he rose back from the grave so that you can be resurrected from your grave. And he ascended on high so that when you perish, when you die from this planet, you will not truly die, but you will be with him in paradise. And you will stand before his throne where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you will glorify him with all the saints for all of eternity. And when we've been there for 10,000 years singing God's praises, we will have barely begun to sing of how wonderful and how majestic and how incredible this God is. But it's only because he saved you from his own wrath. Don't turn your face, Christian, from the wrath of God. Instead, look full in the face of God's burning anger and praise him for who he is. Look deep into the bottomless abyss of his hatred towards sin and grasp the beauty of the gospel. Look long at the measure of indignation with which he hates who you were and flee from your sin. Meditate on the wrath of God and be moved to warn the world around you that some might be saved. Then allow all of this 
to spring forth praise and worship and adoration and gratitude and love and devotion towards him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, words, words just do not express how incredible you are and how unthinkable your grace and your mercy are towards us, Lord. God, I pray for those who are listening right now, Lord, I pray that you're stirring in, in all of our hearts that we might see you for who you are, God, that some might be saved and that the name of the Lord might be glorified. Go with us this week, Lord. Protect us, God, and help us to live this out. Help us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers, God. Empower us by them, the Holy Spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.